0: Right, it's some bonus, bonus, bonus content happening on a Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Do you reckon I could be a Speedway announcer? Now let's burn rubber, BB! Speedway Squad, in color! I can't believe this happened, but there was one particular invention that was the catalyst for the entire show about inventions. And then, when I recorded the show... I kind of forgot to put in the one invention that was the whole reason I was doing this. It's the podcast equivalent of walking into a room and forgetting what you were going in there for. I just opened the podcast fridge and forgot what I was going to eat. What happened was, I went on a whole rant about bicycles, which basically devolved into a bunch of reasons why I hate horses. Which isn't the first and won't be the last time that I do that, but I realized during this rant that it wasn't particularly entertaining and it was bordering on psychotic onanism, so I just decided to axe that whole bit. And in axing that bit, I also forgot to do the bit that I was originally intending to do the whole time. So here you go. Bonus, bonus, bonus! I was researching the history of shipping containers. As you do. If you're at all familiar with how my mind works, this isn't as weird as it might seem, but I'm not going to expand on that here, because if you're unfamiliar with how my mind works, then I kind of want to try and keep a little bit of mystery. So I was researching shipping containers, and it occurred to me that if one were to travel back in time, the shipping container is one of the most major inventions one could conjure to completely change the course of human civilization. I know. Fire. Antibiotics, shipping containers. But yeah, they're actually right up there. So I recently bought a new keyboard. Useful for all the tappy-tappy that I do writing these shows. And I can write it off as a business expense. This keyboard I purchased was manufactured in China, as these things tend to be. China! China. Ding, 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 ding 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 Ding-ding-ding-ding-bong. And it was shipped over to Australia on a ship. Since there's a clue in the name there. And the total shipping cost for the item I purchased was exactly $1.19. That's it, just over a dollar to have something sent to me from a different continent and arrive on my doorstep just over a week later. That is quite amazing. As I said a couple of times in the show, living in the future can make one jaded. And this is one of those examples. Because we here in the future are familiar with this kind of shipping, we don't really appreciate how difficult this kind of thing was for most of human history. Because for most of the last couple of thousand years, shipping something from the Orient took months both ways. And it was so heinously expensive that a sailor could set himself up to live the rest of his life in luxury with a single handful of spices from one single journey. Oh how things have changed. One simple invention changed the very nature of the entire exercise. The shipping container. Shipping things without a shipping container is a logistical nightmare. And for most of human history, a nightmare it was. Just take a moment to think about the logistics of shipping something in the past. It doesn't really matter which point in the past you think of, any when before about 70 years ago, It's all the same. So let's say you've got some silk, some spices, and some wine, and you want to ship that from China to Europe. How do you go about it? Well, what do you put them in? You roll up the silk, I guess. That's probably going to be all right. You put the spices in a couple of sacks. That that ought to do it. And the wine is probably already in a cask, so we can leave that as is. Yes, I said cask. Most wine in history is actually goon. Are you seeing the potential problems here? How do you get them onto the boat? Well, you get some labourers to put the things on a wagon, or maybe you just have a bunch of labourers carry the individual items down to the docks. Then they get to the docks, and some other labourers individually carry the items up the gangplank and into the hold, where we hit our next issue. How do you store them on the ship? You can't really stack anything because the casks are going to roll around, the sacks will fall off the casks, and the silk will probably be destroyed by the sacks and the casks. This is all going to roll around in the hold in the high seas, so good luck keeping more than half your stuff intact for the whole journey because this whole thing is going to be bounced around like a neutral bullet. Then a couple of months later, if there wasn't a shipwreck or pirates. You're yeah. A couple of months later, the ship arrives at its destination, and you hope, you hope, that most of your stuff has survived the journey. Then, when you get there, individual laborers, again drag everything out of the hold and down the gangplank and onto the docks where they'll need to be individually loaded onto a cart or a wagon or individually dragged to the closest train station where they'll be individually loaded onto an individual train. This is so incredibly tedious, labor-intensive, and expensive because of the intense labor and the tedium. The absolute best you could hope for would be to put things in crates, but then you're still left with a mix of barrels and crates. And this was how things were done from the time of the ancient Phoenicians until, and wait for it, the Second World War. That's right, the 1940s. We didn't get the idea of standardized shipping containers until World War II. For those of you familiar with World War II, and I hope that's all of you, you'll know that the shorthand for why the Allies won the Second World War was Soviet blood, British intelligence, and American manufacturing. And it's obviously way more nuanced than that, but it's a good mnemonic. The American manufacturing part of that is what we're concerned about here. America was supplying the bulk of the equipment for the war. Not just guns and ammunition, but everything from canned foods to mobile bridge platforms. And naturally, the Americans turned their minds to more efficient processes of getting those things onto ships, and then getting those ships across the Atlantic in the most efficient way possible, because as I've discussed in a previous show, German U-boats were a bit of an issue. And ultimately the war ended before the problem was solved, but the groundwork was there. Fast forward to the early 1950s, and an American shipping tycoon by the name of Malcolm McLean. McLean? McLean? Well, the greatest footballer in history is Scott McLean, so Malcolm McLean. Malcolm McLean set himself the task of inventing and implementing a standardized form of transportation of goods, not just for sea travel, but all commercial transit, land, sea, and rail. Air wasn't really a thing yet. And what Malcolm McLean came up with was the standardized shipping container. His idea was a series of crates that were 33 feet long and 8 feet wide. This is because he was an American and was thus indoctrinated with freedom units, spitting in the face of the cosmic purity of the metric system, but we're going to forgive him that. And this 33 by 8 was eventually optimized to what we know today as a TEU, or a 20 foot equivalent unit, measuring 8 feet wide by 9 feet tall and 20 feet in length, forcing 192 sovereign states in the world to deal with fractions because, my freedoms, I want my imperial. And you can get containers that are taller or longer than this, should you so require, but one thing that remains constant with these TEUs is the width of these containers, and this is crucial. These shipping containers are always, and forever, 8 feet wide. The core concept for what makes these containers so brilliant is that since every container has uniform dimensions, you don't need to dick around with them when you're loading or unloading them. They'll always slot in like Lego. You can smush them in right next to each other and they'll play nicely, you can stack them on top of one another, you can use a formula to determine how best to fit the most containers inside a ship's hold, and they won't roll around or topple or anything because they're boxes. Two rhomboids will play nicely with each other no matter what, which is something that you don't get with barrels or sacks or amphorae or whatever other crazy shit you use to ship with. The other amazing thing that McLean thought of was what is known as the twist lock. Every corner of these shipping containers has a latch on it, the twist lock. This means that when you put a container on top of another container, they actually do behave like Lego. they lock in. Then someone can lock the latch. And those containers aren't going to go anywhere, they're going to be locked in place. And these twist locks are on every corner, so you can lock the containers together horizontally, you can fasten them to a train car or a semi-trailer. No matter where you put them, they aren't going to be sliding around anywhere. This changes the whole game. Basically, they were unlike anything else in the world before. They used the power of geometry and maths to maximize efficiency even if they were done in dickhead units. And then, when you're unloading these containers, you just Tetris them again. You get those containers out of the ship and stack them on the docks. Again, minimal dicking around, just like Tetris. And these containers are translatable across various means of transportation. You don't need to move things from one container to another to get them where they need to be. This is a huge, huge step. You can take a container directly off a ship and put it straight onto a rail cart or a truck bed. You don't need to do anything else with them. This is why there was such a strict requirement for the containers to be exactly eight feet wide no matter what, because that's the size of a train. Trains are built to fit on train tracks. Train tracks are built to be the size of roads. Roads are based on Roman roads, and Roman roads are based on the size of a horse-drawn wagon. We could probably come up with something better to base our transport infrastructure around, but it was way easier to build a shipping container to fit that rather than completely redesign absolutely everything in the world. So in a nutshell, because of Malcolm McLean, the process for getting anything onto or off a ship was to put that thing in a container and put that container on the ship. That's it. And all of this could be done with one man in one crane in minutes rather than a team of dozens of people in hours. It goes from train or truck, to crane, to ship, then ship, to crane, to train. Easy. In hindsight, it seems like a really simple and obvious idea, but nobody thought of it until the middle of the 20th century. So if you're traveling through time, you can really relax before you need to get cracking on this one. Now, the story of how Malcolm McLean got this new idea off the ground and so ubiquitous is a much more complicated story, as you can expect, and it isn't a particularly interesting one, again, as you might expect. Unless, of course, your fetish is United States business law and antitrust measures, in which case you've already won life and I'm merely wasting your time. Long story short, the Korean and Vietnam wars happened and the United States needed to get a bunch of stuff halfway across the world, and they couldn't do it easily. Then they saw that McLean's companies were moving stuff easily and they found out about his design and then they built a whole bunch of ports all over the world using this new standardized design and then everyone else adopted it because it was ubiquitous and because it worked. And that's how Malcolm McLean got a monopoly on worldwide shipping designs. Credit where due to, McLean didn't hoard this new container design. He just wanted shipping to be easier, he wasn't going to gouge the world to do it So he gave his schematics to the International Organization for Standardization, so anyone could use them royalty-free. The upshot is that one invention made shipping vastly more efficient, less labor-intensive, and incredibly cut the cost of shipping anything, anywhere. The cost to ship goods back in the 15th century is hard to calculate, but it was staggeringly expensive to ship a metric ton of goods would have cost the equivalent of about a million dollars in today's money. As technology and human civilization kept going, we kept getting that cost cheaper and cheaper, until in the 1940s the cost of shipping a metric ton of goods was about $5.86 was the figure I found. You'll note that that is significantly cheaper than $1 million. But once Malcolm McLean's standardized shipping container became the industry norm the average cost of shipping a metric ton of cargo dropped from $5.86 to $0.16. Cents. It is simply that much better. On Malcolm McLean's death in 2001, Forbes magazine ranked him as one of the few men who changed the world. And the Baltimore Sun said, quote, He ranks aside Robert Fulton as the greatest revolutionary in the history of the maritime trade. End quote. High praise indeed. Robert Fulton, of course, invented the steamboat. But if you're time-travelling, of these two men and their respective inventions, one of them is significantly easier to steal. Hint, it's not the steamboat. So if you tumbled through time and you're looking for one single invention that will change the world and you want to maximize your chances of success no matter when you show up, your best bet is to invent the standardized shipping container. Anything that goes on a ship, put it in a metal crate measuring 20 feet in length, 9 feet in height, and 8 feet wide. And you can do this as late as 1951. And you can easily make the same thing happen with aviation, you just make a container that fits the curve of an aircraft, we call that a ULD or unit load device, but since I used to work in aviation ground handling, that's as much PTSD as I'm willing to risk. But the principle is the same as shipping containers, and for that, we have Malcolm McLean to thank. At least until you find that time machine, and you invent it. Then we'll be thanking you. Godspeed time bandits, go change the world. Fast forward there's a bird just outside my window that dead set sounds like a velociraptor.